Hello, this is Leslie Gartha Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today I'm speaking with Professor Francine J. Lipman about tax and social justice. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Francis J. Lipman, the William S. Boyd Professor of Law at the William S. Boyd School of Law, where she teaches tax law. Professor Lippmann explains to me how tax and social justice are tied together and makes a compelling argument for why every law student should take tax, particularly those who are interested in social justice. It's an enlightening conversation, and I promise you, you'll learn a lot. Here's my discussion with Professor Lippmann. So thank you for joining me. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. And um, I don't know much about tax. We have Bridget Crawford, who is our tax professional at PACE. We're very proud of her. But what I she talks about is tax as it relates to women's rights. And I know that you talk about, and this is about you, um, you talk about tax and social justice. And I have to say, as a non-tax person, I don't really think of those going hand in hand. So can you explain how tax and social justice can go hand in hand? Absolutely. First, uh, let me give a big, broad, bold shout out to Professor Bridget Crawford, (laughs) who really is a legend in the area of tax law generally, but also more specifically, uh, taxpayer rights is human rights and feminist rights. As you know, she's been an editor on so many books that I've had the privilege of contributing to, critical tax theory. Mm -hmm thinking about tax really from a human rights, social justice lens. So for example, in that book that she edited, that's still out there, people should get it and read it. It's called Critical Tax Theory. Okay. Yep. And it's edited a book of series of law review articles, but are made more user-friendly, more accessible, Um, on a myriad of different subjects. And so I have a couple pieces in there. Uh, One is on undocumented immigrants and the tax system Mm -hmm. and how undocumented immigrants pay taxes. And in fact, when people say, and I often get emails in my email box saying, using a very um, harsh term, which I'm going to repeat now just for emphasis, illegals don't pay Mm -hmm. taxes. And first of all, no human being is illegal, of course. Right. Um, And of course they pay taxes. When you go to the grocery store and buy things or clothing store or the gas pumps or you pay your electric bill or your utility bill, you don't say, well, I'm undocumented, so I don't have to pay these taxes. Of course they pay them. And my scholarship, which got a ton of articles on SSRN, download them, read them, please, it's free. Um, I write about how not only do undocumented immigrants pay taxes, but they pay taxes at a higher effective rate than similarly situated US citizens. And why is that? Frankly, it's actually pretty simple they do not qualify for the earned income tax credit, which is a refundable credit for working families with children that reduces your tax liability significantly. 
And so if anyone on the tax return doesn't have a social security number that is that authorizes work, no one on that tax return can qualify for the earned income tax credit. When you look at this demographic of unauthorized workers, because they are working in the shadows, they often are working at lower wage jobs. And in fact, I've worked with a myriad of undocumented immigrants, including many who have college degrees, who are working in restaurants, you know, serving food because they're working in the shadows. And so this is a population that pays at a higher effective tax rate, but yet the popular um, shibboleth out there is that they don't pay taxes, which is exactly the opposite. That's so interesting because, you know, and I and, and, and I'm, I'm hope I don't sound ignorant, but when people say that undocumented aliens don't pay taxes, what they really mean to be saying is that they believe they don't pay federal income tax. So the first takeaway from this, which is, uh, you know, and I, I, I am very liberal, but I will just say that it's interesting because you're right. They, they pay taxes when they buy food, they pay taxes on tax, they pay taxes um, for the gap. Exactly. So that's, so, so that's the first massage, I should say, of the statement is that it's not, the argument is really, if you think of a Venn diagram, it's that they're not paying one type of tax that the rest of us are paying. And then just to make sure that I understand this completely, if an undocumented alien is working in a restaurant, like my son works in a restaurant and he gets a paycheck and that paycheck gets taxes taken out of it. And at the end of the year, when he reconciles his federal income taxes, my son, who is legal, can get some benefits and the undocumented alien who had his taxes taken out also because it's just payroll tax mm -hmm. doesn't. So that's a, that's so interesting. That's, uh, that's really kind of um, enlightening. And what's also interesting, you're, you're exactly right. And again, these things aren't that complicated. What really is frustrating to me and folks like professor Crawford is that when people say tax, they think it's a four-letter word, but it's not. <laughs> it's three letters. And they're so intimidated by it, you know. And law students often, well, I don't want to take that class because it's about numbers and it's about math. No, it's about the human life story. And law students must take this class because you're taxpayers and you're going to want to benefit from the system and understand how it works and how it doesn't work. So, so you're spot on. And when undocumented immigrants are chilled not to file tax returns, then they often are paying again, overpaying their tax liability, because when your son who works in a restaurant, lower income uh, uh, demographics, if they, when they file, they get refunds, right? right? So if you don't file, you're leaving your refund in the, in the pocketbooks of the government, state and federal. Yep. And what's even more frustrating for this population, for undocumented immigrants, is they're subject to Social Security and Medicare taxes, just like your son is. And so they're paying in, and by the way, payroll taxes, 
the effective rate is about 15.3% when you take the employer and the employee sides. And your son someday, I'm confident, will qualify for Social Security benefits. And more importantly, perhaps Medicare benefits, healthcare benefits. I work with undocumented immigrants, by the way, who are in their 70s, hmm. who have paid into Social Security and Medicare for 40 years. And they never and see a dollar they back. do not wow. qualify, wow. not only for Social Security retirement benefits, but not for spousal benefits, hmm. nor for Medicare. Hmm. They also can't qualify for the Affordable Care Act. So they are terribly vulnerable and disproportionately work in occupations that are high risk for, for harm, for workmen's comp issues. Mm -hmm. and, and so that they pay taxes is critical. And by the way, the Social Security Administration includes that in their calculations of when they're going to run out of money includes it as income, but not as a payout. And so, does so that they pay in. That's so interesting. I, I guess, does that trouble the government? I mean, it depends what government is in power, but is there any movement afoot to give credit to um, illegal immigrants? Or how do we reconcile this, I guess, is the bigger question. What do we do to make it fair? Or can we make it fair? So uh, as you may have noticed, uh, the discourse around many of these issues, including immigration, is split. Yes. And so uh, when we had, when I first got into this issue was a few years ago, back in 2006, <laughs> when we had a president who was talking about immigration reform. And both sides of the table were coming together to try to make that happen. As you know, it didn't happen. But at that point in time, there were the um, Republican side of the table was asking for a lot of concessions and a lot of payments. And so uh, the unauthorized immigrant community was having to give up benefits like that. So not, you know, on the table then was not allowing for credit mm -hmm. or taxes paid, but maybe on a going forward basis. So for example, dreamers, mm -hmm. dreamers get a social security number so they can work with authorization and they are paying into the system. Of course, if they lose that, then they won't qualify for social security benefits because in order written into the law now, which of course is a statute and can be changed, in order to qualify for social security benefits, you have to be legally present. Mm -hmm. So, and, oh, oh, I see. So if they're asked to leave the country, they're no longer legally present. Exactly. So it's interesting. So as a tax person, you can affect change in ways that, you know, many social justice people can affect change. 
Absolutely. And that's just one area. And again, just to kind of tout that book, Critical Tax Theory, another article that I wrote that um, will speak to change is looking at how the tax system uh, incentivizes and uh, uh, helps uh, people with disabilities. So there, as you know, uh, with our growing population of seniors, more and more individuals are disabled and more and more individuals are having to access uh, benefits and jobs and education through the internet. So my article in this book, Critical Tax Theory, deals with incentives for hiring. There are some tax credits that businesses can get for hiring people with disabilities or making accommodations for people with disabilities. But I just, I've been working with a law student of mine who graduated and she's blind and she's a, a, a lawyer and she did work for the National Federation of the Blind but now she's working for um, the uh, disability uh, department of disabilities at the for the federal government, and we worked on a tax credit to give up to twenty five hundred dollars for people who are blind, and that's defined in the tax system, so they can get a reimbursement for money spent on accessible technology. Oh, wow. So, so just think about being a law student or trying to look for a job and being legally blind. Right. How do you access the internet? How do you right. apply? How do you get your information? Well, the good news is there's technology that can uh, translate emails and voice recognition and a myriad of other uh, benefits or, or technologies that help individuals who cannot see access uh, the real world, but they're expensive. They're right. really expensive. And not surprisingly, like all of our systems, they have to be updated. And the problem with the... Um, disability rights benefits through the um, uh, disability rights, uh, can't remember the acronym now for the, uh, it's actually been around so long. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the ADA, yes. which I think is like 30 years old already. Mm -hmm. The problem with that program is that you have to be employed, right? Your employer has to accommodate, mm -hmm. um, but you have to already have the job and the technology is owned by the employer. So what we need to do is shift that to the individual and give individuals these rights so they can buy the technology, own the technology so they can get the job. Yes, that's like, and by the way, the ADA was enacted, I guess, July 26, 1990, but that's such a chicken and the egg kind of situation. Exactly. 
Exactly. And it wasn't, I guess we look, we just framed it differently. We looked at it differently. We looked to employers as having all of these being the driver. But for example, the Affordable Care Act for um, healthcare, we want to push that to individuals versus the employer. So maybe we're going to see a lot of these rights, interestingly, be, you know, empowered in the individual. For Mm -hmm. example, uh, reproductive rights. Why should your employer be able to own that or to make those decisions for yeah, you. Well, I know. So yes. you want to push that to the individual. So just think about um, technology rights. Can you imagine if your employer, you know, had control over your laptop, your cell phone? And so when you become unemployed, to lose all of that. And so the tax system Uh, can help facilitate that. Just like we help facilitate higher ed and law school. There are generous tax credits that law students can get to facilitate uh, their tuition payments and their book payments, not just uh, law school, but the first four years of higher ed. And we've got to make these work better. So a great example of something that's kind of crazy from a social justice perspective is the credit for higher ed for the first four years of higher ed, uh, which is the American Opportunity Tax Credit. You cannot have had a felony for a drug felony offense and get that credit. Hmm. So if you step back from that and think about who do we want to empower to better themselves? Right. Who do we want to be able to access programs and education so they can get beyond their record? Of course, it would be people who are struggling to get a job, like someone with a felony drug conviction. Right. But under our tax laws, they don't qualify for this benefit, which is somewhat antithetical to social justice. Right. You can get incredible benefits under the tax system if you are a felon Who's convicted? Who's been convicted of a murder? You know, <laughs> you're able to access the home mortgage interest deduction, or the exclusion of healthcare benefits. But yet, we have this weird um, framing for certain benefits, mm-hmm. and we need more transparency. We need broader understanding of the tax system, people not to be intimidated, and especially law students who are going to be the front, on the front lines of tax justice, and maybe more importantly, voting yes, and writing tax laws right. at the federal and state level. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because everything you're saying as someone who's not a tax person goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is tax is a three letter word and not a four letter word, because (laughs) the uninformed of us think only of taxation as a 
I don't want to call it a penalty. It's not a penalty, but but it is it is the opposite of a credit. It's almost a debit. They're taking mm-hmm. away. We don't think of it as a tax credit. And it's interesting because we it's either it's like taxes or tax credit, which is kind of like, um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite movies um, is called The Big Sick, where um, <laughs> I, did you see that movie? Uh-huh. It's movie. There's marriage or there's love marriage. And it's kind of the same kind of thing. There's taxes or there are tax credits. And so I think what I'm learning is that we shouldn't, when we hear the word tax, we shouldn't be scared because there are some things that taxes, some ways in which taxes benefit us. Um, and there are ways in which taxes can benefit others. And so I see the social justice aspect as you talk about it. And that is such an important epiphany. And it's not surprising you have seen it that way because there has been a framing. Think about death taxes. Think about the framing of taxation as theft. So that's somewhat intentional, but yet Congress over the last many years has been pushing more of social benefits into the tax system. So that has been intentional. So the working poor benefits used to be delivered outside of the tax system. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Hmm. TANF, the temporary aid to needy families, has dropped, that benefit has dropped precipitously because of the welfare to work movement actually pushed by Clinton. And in the 1996, we we pushed that into the law. And so more of uh, welfare, social justice benefits are tied to work. Where better to measure that perhaps than through the tax system? The child tax credit, which is a refundable credit for kids, right. now up to $2,000 is delivered through the tax system. Mm-hmm. Canada delivers it through a system that is monthly and not tied to earnings that is more like social security benefits. Right. So I'm hoping we might think about decoupling this and maybe pushing more of these benefits through social security so people can think differently about them and maybe make access more affordable and more pervasive and not tie it to earnings so much. Right. And also I think it's more palatable to swallow if people think of, you know, I mean, there's this, this sense among many that I'm paying taxes and they're not paying taxes or I'm paying. I live in New York. A lot of people move to Florida to avoid taxes. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it goes, it's, as you were speaking to, I just want to point out that all the kind of sayings or negative sayings, you know, the only thing for certain are death and taxes or taxation without representation. You guys need a better soundbite. Absolutely. (laughs) I think that, you know, going back to my point, you need need better PR. I agree. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) But the point is, too, I think that because those of us who are not tax prof- who are not tax professionals have such a negative f- feeling about taxes that the more we tie the deliverables to taxes 
the better we can feel about taxes. And, and in a way, I think that's better justice than this right or wrong sense of handouts or socialism. Absolutely. And it's so much about framing and you are spot on. The framing is intentional and it, it, it has been long term. And those of us that are on the social justice side of it have been kind of yelling into the wind. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's being empowered because there, we've reached a tipping point. Right. In that so much has been pushed into the tax system, the Affordable Care Act, the premium tax credit is delivered through the federal tax system, Mm. the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit, the educational tax credits, the uh, disability rights tax credits, that we we need to expose that in a way that frames taxpayer rights as human rights. Well, that's a great, we're good, that's a great way to um, think about it. <laughs> and this, I, this has been so much, so interesting and so much fun for me. But, you know, we when I said, what should we speak about? And you said tax and social justice. I thought to myself, how in the heck can you put those two together? And now I understand. And I guess my biggest takeaway is that law students really need to take tax, that the the biggest public interest law student really needs to take tax. And um, this has been a great, you know, I said you need a new public relations. This has been great public relations for the argument for taking tax. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I want to thank you. And I agree. And You know, I'm a CPA tax attorney and I have worked to make the publicly traded companies, you know, protect their taxpayer rights. And I have worked for people who couldn't afford a $25 transcript to protect their taxpayer rights. And that is really part and parcel of the same system. And so law students embrace this topic It is about life and the law, and that makes the law richer. Yeah, it does. Well, you bring it to life. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been really interesting. And that's my discussion with Professor Lippman. A reminder that this and all of our podcasts are available for free at www.lawtofact.com. A lot of them just help you understand the law. And with finals coming around, I think they'll be super helpful. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about or a professor with whom you'd like us to speak, you can email us at lawtofact at gmail.com. That's it for this week. Have a good day. 